0: Welcome to the Football Pink Podcast, hosted by Roddy Cairns. The Football Pink is a website, magazine and documentary podcast series bringing you long-form stories and nostalgia from across the world of football. Footballing history has a knack for throwing up oddities, the ancient and global nature of this wonderful game meaning that it has had its fair share of strange competitions and unexpected matchups. Think of Scotland's Queen's Park, reaching the final of the English FA Cup in 1884, or Notts County being invited to open the new Juventus Stadium in 2011, as payback for lending their Italian hosts a kit a century earlier. But few events are more worthy of an eyebrow raise than aside from the black country being crowned winners of America's first proper season of football. Take a bow, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Or, should I say, the Los Angeles Wolves.
1: Wolves' players perhaps would have been expecting the summer off to relax and recuperate. Instead, they found themselves in Los Angeles.
2: Just imagine the drama and the pressure he's under. This is literally the last kick of the game.
0: Football dates back to the mid-19th century in America at a non-professional level, with some FIFA-recognised football played in the early decades of the 1900s. However, arguably, the modern era of football in the States began with the birth of the United Soccer Association, or USA, which marked the return of football stateside for the first time in over 30 years. In the mid-60s, North America already had a number of popular, established major sports, and it was debatable if the states had room for football, or as it's barbarically referred to, soccer. So the question of how do we infiltrate the market with a popular worldwide sport that barely exists in 1960s America was firmly embedded in the minds of all those behind the newly formed and FIFA-recognised United Soccer Association. Their solution was to import several foreign football teams who were already well-known and established to play under American pseudonyms. This might seem like marketing genius, but in truth necessity was very much the mother of invention, as Football Pink editor Andrew Haynes recalls.
1: When professional football was being introduced to the people of North America, there was this strange situation where there were two separate leagues vying for the attention of the paying supporters. The United Soccer Association which had the AT acronym of the USA uh, and would be the league that Wolves played in was recognised by FIFA which was important in its own sense but the league did not have a TV broadcasting deal which in a financial sense is perhaps more important. While the USA was FIFA recognised and without a broadcaster their rival league the National Professional Soccer League or the NPSL was not recognised by FIFA but it did have a TV broadcasting deal with CBS. The USA had planned on rolling their league out in 1968 but as the NPSL were ready for action a year earlier plans had to be brought forward to 67 so they didn't lose ground on their rivals. So having committed to a launch day the United Soccer Association had franchises set up in 12 cities across North America but not a single player signed up to play for them. Thus a scramble to find international clubs to provide their teams during the gap between seasons in Europe over the summer to represent those franchises while they then found players of their own, began.
0: It was only natural that the organisers would look first to England and Scotland, very much the old country when it comes both to football and in some ways to American identity. They sought some local help with their quest for teams. As Football Pink contributor Pete Spencer recalls,
2: Along with the London businessman, three personalities of English football were approached to help with recruitment of teams from around Britain. Famous commentator Kenneth Wollstoneholm, Fresh famous line in the World Cup final, they think it's all over, it is now. England's record goal scorer Jimmy Greaves, and ex-Nottingham Forest striker Roy Dwight. Some of you may wonder who Dwight was. Well, apart from scoring for Forest in their FA Cup final win over Luton Town in 1959, he's also notable for being Elton John's cousin. So with plenty of money to splash about, their Christmas shopping list consisted of three teams from England, three from Scotland, and one from either side of the Irish border.
0: The resulting Frankenstein franchises had some interesting identities. From England, Stoke, Wolves and Sunderland became the Cleveland Stokers, the Los Angeles Wolves and the Vancouver Royal Canadians. Scottish sides Aberdeen, Hibbs, and Dundee United were rebranded as the Washington Whips, Toronto City and Dallas Tornado. From the island of Ireland came Boston Rovers, formerly Shamrock Rovers, and Detroit Tigers, who you might more commonly know as Glentorin. Add in one team each from Italy, Uruguay, Brazil and the Netherlands and you had a colourful nonsense of a competition. Goodness knows how the bookies would have set odds with teams coming from such a diverse variety of domestic leagues. The team in Los Angeles was originally due to be named the Los Angeles Zorros, but the name was changed when the Midlands side came on board. Wolves arrived in the States off the back of a gruelling but successful season.
1: When Wolves arrived in America during the summer of 67, they would have done so off the back of a gruelling English season. They were eliminated in the fourth round of the FA Cup and the third round of the newly formed League Cup, but they had played 42 matches in their Division 2 campaign. It had been one of success as well, as Ernie Hunt bagged an impressive 21 league goals alongside the likes of Derek Dugan. Dave Wagstaff and Peter Knowles which fired the Old Gold into a second place finish in Division 2 meaning that they had earned promotion to Division 1. They had only been two seasons absent from the top flight but come the end of the summer the Molyneux side would be looking to consolidate their place in the division at the top of the English pyramid. In preparation for that season Wolves' players perhaps would have been expecting a summer off to relax and recuperate however instead They found themselves in Los Angeles, turning out at the 93,000 capacity Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, a ground which would never reach anywhere near capacity.
0: As is now familiar to followers of football in America, the league was split into conferences based on geography. Wolves made short work of the Western division that they were entered into.
2: All the teams were split into two divisions, West and East. But as is standard with US sports, they didn't just play the teams in their division, they met every other team in the competition. They won four of their first six matches, including a 5-1 win over Sunderland, or Vancouver as they were known, and a 4-1 win over Glentoran, who were playing as Detroit. They had to replay a match against Aberdeen, or Washington. The first match had been feisty and seen some punches thrown. But what Washington complained about was that Wolves had used three outfield subs, when the rules stated they could only use two outfield players plus a goalkeeper. The replay game was won easily by Washington, but Wolves had already qualified, winning their division by two points. Their playing record was five wins, five draws and two defeats from their 12 matches. As expected, Ernie Hunt was top scorer, with Dugan and Knowles also chipping in.
0: As Western Division winners, Wolves would progress to a playoff for the championship against the winners of the Eastern Division. The Eastern Division had been won by the Washington Whips, who bore an uncanny resemblance to Aberdeen and had finished one point ahead of Stoke City impersonators, the Cleveland Stokers. Back home in Scotland, the Dons had come off the back of a decent season of their own. A fourth-place finish was boosted by a run between the end of October and beginning of January, which saw them lose only one game. They also enjoyed a good season in the Cups, reaching the semi-final of the League Cup and the final of the Scottish Cup. The latter ended in heartbreak, Celtic defeating the Dons 2-0 in front of 126,000 fans at Hampden Park with two goals from William Wallace. No, not that one. With the finalists known, the venue of the inaugural United Soccer Association final was decided, quite surprisingly, with the toss of a coin. The LA Wolves won the home advantage. What was to follow in front of just shy of 18,000 at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum was at the time described, in a classic example of America's embrace of hyperbole, as the greatest soccer game ever seen anywhere.
1: With just three minutes on the clock in the final, the LA Wolves took the lead. A looping ball into the box fell to the feet of Knowles after a flick-on by Dugan, and the Englishman coolly found the bottom corner with a right-footed finish. The Whips replied with a goal either side of the half-time break. Jimmy Smith had restored parity and Francis Monroe notched the Washington franchise in front with a penalty, sparking a spell of four goals in as many minutes. It was certainly one for the neutral as, of course, pretty much everyone there was. A minute after Monroe's penalty, Wolves were level again. A ball in from Knowles was controlled by Hunt, whose tricky footwork eluded the Whips' defence before he slid the ball to David Burnside, who slammed home. Just a minute after that, James Storey netted for the Washington Whips to restore their lead and another minute on, Burnside bagged again to level the game, 3-3. Burnside would complete his hat-trick with eight minutes of normal time remaining but Munro was again able to find the net a minute from the full-time whistle to send the final into extra time.
2: The rules for this match were 30 minutes of extra time to be played and if the scores were still level, it would be sudden death. Just play until there's a winner. Next goal wins if you like. With just seven minutes remaining, Wolves went back in front. Hunt played in Wharton down the right, and his ball into the area found Dugan free on the penalty spot. He neatly drew the defender, flicked the ball onto his left foot, and then fired it past Bobby Clark. Wolves were back in front, 5-4. With two minutes to go, a ball by Wolves into the area was punched away by Clark, but it fell to Wagstaff, and from about 25 yards out, he floated the ball towards the empty net but suddenly one of the Washington defenders got back and punched it over the bar. You know, much like Suarez did against Garner all those years later. Wolves had a penalty. Surely this would put the game out of reach. Terry Wharton stepped up, but Clark guessed right and went the right way to save it, and Washington was still in this. Clark immediately threw the ball out to the left, and Washington were back on the attack. As the ball was played into the area, story appeared to be tripped and the referee again pointed to the spot. But this time for Washington. Francis Munro stepped up on a hat-trick. He'd already successfully scored one penalty in normal time. As he was getting ready to take it, the clock ticked past 30 minutes. Just imagine the drama and the pressure he's under. This is literally the last kick of the game. If he misses, his team loses. If he scores, they go on. Munro, who ironically six months later would be a Wolves player, calmly stepped up, put the ball in the net. So now we had golden goal format as it's five all. Next goal wins. In theory, they could go on playing all night. Six minutes into this extra period, Bobby Thompson went down the left for Wolves. He crossed into the far post, but the ball came off the thigh of Washington's Ali Shewan. And to his horror, it went into the net. There's nothing Clark could do about it. What an incredible match this had been. Final score, LA Wolves 6, Washington Whips 5.
0: Well, it might not have been quite the greatest soccer game ever seen anywhere, it was certainly a stoter of a match. Wolves were the first winners of the United Soccer Association Championship, and they would ultimately prove to be the last too. In December 1967, the USA and the National Professional Soccer League would settle their differences and unite. Thus, they became the North American Soccer League, or NASL, which would reign until their eventual demise in the March of 1984. The Los Angeles Wolves' reign of terror in the US was short-lived. The franchise did compete in the NASL the following season, coached by former Manchester United goalie Ray Wood, but without the Wolverhampton contingent, They finished third in their conference, but the franchise folded at the end of the season. Wolverhampton Wanderers actually returned to play in the Nazal the following year, when the idea of imported teams was resurrected. This time, though, they represented the Kansas City Spurs, and they managed to keep up their stateside trophy run by winning the Nazal International Cup. But the Los Angeles Wolves were no more.
1: Today, the endeavours of the Los Angeles Wolves are commemorated, in name at least, by an amateur club playing under the name LA Wolves FC. The team was founded in 2014 and ply their trade in the United Premier Soccer League, or the UPSL, with an aspiration of turning professional one day. With an orange and black club badge, which has a wolf's head front and centre, there is a distinct nod to their Midlands forefathers.
0: The short and storied history of the Los Angeles Wolves might seem strange to a follower of European football, but it somewhat sums up football's long struggle to find a foothold in the land of the free. Imported teams were just one of a number of apparently zany ideas which were tried, with clubs and competitions coming and going along the way. American football in those early days was characterised by poor planning and superfluous spending, with businessmen masquerading as football men. It left each of the early American leagues resembling something like a supernova, a dying sun full of allure but ultimately destined to collapse in on itself. The NASL may have outlasted the one year apiece which the USA and NSPL survived, but it too crumbled into the dust in 1984 after just 16 seasons. But the thing with a supernova is that it can provide the raw materials for something else to take its place. The MLS rose from the ashes of the NASL 12 years later, And after 24 years of fairly steady growth, it's now a well-established and respected competition. But there will always be a place for Wolverhampton Wanderers and their alter ego, the Los Angeles Wolves, in the pioneering early history of US club football. Because at the center of that very first footballing supernova, back in 1967, was gold. And more specifically, the old gold of the black country's finest. Now who's being hyperbolic? You have been listening to the Football Pink podcast. For more stories like this one, please subscribe to the podcast and visit footballpink.net.